people that should have probably been the only thing shot in that film should have been the producers. Radio Drome. Welcome to a very poorly thought out episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Canadian monkey man who may be radioactive, the Peter. You can make baby. You've used that one before. Pick up something yep, new. So what? People, people love it. People love it. You got to go for the tried and true routine. And the always wrong Cecil. Isn't this like always hastily made up? No, I usually yeah. research these quite a bit. And in fact, I have this episode researched quite a bit too, but it, the whole point is hastily made. So never mind, we're not there yet. What we do is we sell it as hastily made, but in the in the uh, background of it, not so much. It's very much research. So it's like, it's kind of a fake out. I researched this show to ri a ridiculous degree. I really should start claiming all that research on my taxes. <laughs> And joining us this week is the Frederick himself, the Fritz. Go ahead, make my day. Ugh, we were talking about Jennifer Tilly earlier, never mind. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's going to be one of Jennifer Eastwood, Clint Tilly. It's going to be one of those. But anyway, if you guys want to help out the show, you know, we're, we're still kind of in that quarantine mode. You want something, you know, go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. While you're in quarantine, prolapse something. You could get the video of it, on some weird, sketchy site, at which point you might need a VPN, where you would go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN, which would bring you over to Nord's site to get NordVPN's protection. There, they'll be able to encode your data, they'll protect your data, you'll be able to get around region locking, you'll be able to safely surf some of the sketchier sites. So, hmm. 1201beyond.com backslash VPN. So tonight's episode, we're going to talk about, this might be kind of a looser topic because some of these things will fit into it better than others, but when a movie goes off the rails, and I don't mean that in the way of a movie that's meant to be weird, because that's a totally different thing. It's where a movie, it either falls into a lot of bad decisions were made on set, or this was really not thought through in pre-production, or <laughs> probably the biggest thing that's the problem is... We've got these amazing comedic actors. Let's just let them ad-lib the script. Because that oh, never, boy. ever, 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 ever works. What would be a movie for you that just went so far off the rails, it's actually mind-boggling? Well, when, you, when this first came up as a possible topic, I, I had a weird, out-of-left-field pick. And it came into my head immediately, which was weird because I haven't watched the movie in several decades. It was a movie called He's My Girl. It was from the late 80s, and it is an absolute disaster. 
I actually rewatched it just for this show, and it took me five sittings to finish it. It was unbearably awful. Every decision is bizarre. You could see what they were going for. It was in that Tootsie, just one of the guys mold. It's a cross-dressing teen comedy, air quotes, or, or gender bender, if you will. That's where it starts. Where it ended up, who knows what the decisions were. But in, in rough, the story is about... Well, T.K. Carter is best friends with a singer played by French pop star David Halliday, who cannot act. Essentially, they win a contest that sends them to L.A. The one caveat, it has to be the, the guy who won with his girlfriend. Heaven knows why we needed a premise. And, of course, T.K. Carter wears dresses as a woman and hilarity ensues. Not even once. Hilarity in uh, quotes. It, it's terrible this movie is bad in every single solitary level it is weirdly edited every choice uh, scenes go on and on and on and they're not funny not even remotely even the music choice now he is supposed to be a a singer you know star in the making kind of character the very first song that we're introduced to him singing is a song called the church of the poison spider and it's this weird almost macabre song that's got a like a poppy rock beat to it but the lyrics are consist of something like i wrote some of them down uh in the church of the poison spider home of the turbo rider the creed of the iron horse is to sacrifice the lamb you know a comedy this is a weird movie with endless weird choices it would not be acceptable today i can promise you that but what's weirder is it's a pg-13 you can see this movie was supposed to be an r I looked it up. Yes, you could clearly see F-words are redubbed. Apparently, there's an alternate version of this movie with a completely different soundtrack. It's one of those movies you can only say it just isn't funny so many times. Characters come in and out with no reason, no logic. Nothing in this film makes sense, down to casting a French pop star who was only 20, couldn't act. T.K. Carter, who's been good in other movies, is is just rambling in scene after scene. You can see classic, there's nothing in the script. So just just keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. There it's obviously awful. wasn't very, very good uh, direction. He wasn't really given much to do, and they were just kind of like, just, just do, do stuff. Be yeah, funny. Be funny. <laughs> be it's funny. all flat shots. Every It looks like it was shot for TV. Oh. It's all flat, dull, lifeless. It's You just look at this film, and I remember when there were ads on TV for this film. I saw it in the theater. And I remember walking out of the theater just having no clue what I just watched. Oh, and yikes. here we are years later rewatching it. And I'm like, wow, this, how did this get to the cinema? I would have to go with the 2001 film, A Knight's Tale. I didn't know. Yeah, uh, really? What was that meant to be? I don't know. It was like they they for those of you who have never heard of it or never seen it. It is a movie that takes place in ye olden times and medieval times. But it's they're about using jousting or something, right? Like, yeah, it's it's about jousting, but they're using like current day references. Uh, like it starts off. They're getting ready for a joust and the audience is doing the the we will rock you. Oh, you know, God. The, do, 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 we yep. will. I as soon as that started, I went. Because uh, I didn't know, like, I was with a group of people. It was one of those, like, well, what do you want to see? Oh, uh, what do you want to see? And so they decided, uh, well, we'll go see A Night's Tale. And I, I knew nothing about it. I went in, and I'm like, that happened? I went, uh-oh. The guy who was uh, in, trying to rile the crowd up, and he was doing, like, the Arsenio Hall. You know, the oh. woo, 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 woo. Awful. 
it like nothing to, for me personally, nothing worked. It uh, it was like they had uh, you know, a standard medieval hero movie, and they said, okay, this is really boring. This has been done a million times. Why don't we spice it up by adding in a bunch of current day references that are completely out of place, oh. and somehow that'll be funny. Stupid, because they had good act, like they had Heath Ledger in there, who's a great actor. Yeah, they but had, like they really didn't know. They just didn't know what to do with him at that time. And I think that movie is one of the reasons why when like the Dark Knight came out, people went, ugh, the Knight's Tale guy. Yeah, there are 10 things I hate about you, which actually was is infinitely better than this piece of crap. Good movie. But yeah, yeah. they had, you know, Rufus Sewell, uh, Paul Bettany, Alan Tudyk. I mean, they had a really, really good cast, mm-hmm. but the 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 current day references and all that, it just it really, really just drove me nuts. It took me out of it. And I actually after the movie ended, uh, it was a group. Uh, it was this girl I was seeing at the time and like her friends. It was the first time we ever hung out as a group. And I'm walking out of the movie and I'm ranting on how much it sucked. They got so uncomfortable. They swore to never hang out with me again. <laughs> oh, oh Jesus. Wow. one other thing. I, I just saw this movie, by the way. How weird. Never saw it. I just saw it three weeks ago. He's, he's so right. It's <laughs> what's really weird about what he's saying is if the whole movie had been this goofy, lighthearted, hey, modern music. Yeah. You get into the rhythm of the movie. Like like uh, like a Robin just... Hood uh like a Robin Hood men in tights kind of thing. Yeah. Right. You'd be you'd have fun. The music disappears for the middle part of the movie and there's this whole thing with Rufus. Like he can't be just the villain of this Renfest, right? They have this scene where now he's been sent to war for some reason. And then when he returns to, you know, the jousting match, this deadly jousting match, they say, oh, his his group of marauders were disbanded because they were killing women and children. What? That that got dark. <laughs> yeah, it's like they kept yeah. just piling on all this stuff. Like he's the villain. I I was literally waiting for him to blow up a plane or something because <laughs> the, you know it was so anachronistic it wouldn't have mattered. And they you know, go for broke, right? Can you imagine what the shooting was like or the pre-production where a studio oh. said, "Yes, we sign off on all of this." Oh Jesus! I think there yeah. are definitely two people. I think there was a producer and a director and maybe even a writer that were all butting heads on that film. It's like, it's got to be a comedy. No, it's got to be a serious, like, medieval timesy movie. I want this, or I want that. And then we ended up getting a weird, just bizarre Franken film that doesn't know whether it wants to be parody or, like, a serious medieval timesy kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's definitely a movie that failed at what Everything. it was trying to do. Yeah, I and mean, we oh, don't even know I will... at this point. Okay, here, here's the thing, though, that, that is really crazy. Written, directed, and produced by the same guy, Brian oh. Helgeland. The executive producer, but he's still the producer, the writer, you know, a producer, and the writer and director. And this is the same guy who made Payback. How is this the same guy? So unbelievably bad that'll go into something i'm going to bring up later about a certain actor who i un- i really like who unfortunately is in a ton of movies that i've got on a list here i'm gonna go for a bit of an, an obscure obscure one and this is one from the forgotten canon catalog nearing the end of their tenure i gotta go with uh the lee majors movie keaton's cop oh which is just a, i remember a prime, that. Oh. this is a prime example of what not to do in a comedy like this is meant to be kind of a satirical mobster buddy cop kind of 
comedy movie, but all of the jokes fall so horrifically flat. Lee Majors is is there's a, the only funny moment of the film is like the unintentional comedy where they're trying to sell Lee Majors as like the built buffed up leading man, but yet they take every avenue they can to like hide his gut. That's maybe the only funny part of the film, but it's just terrible. Abe Vigoda is bad. Don Rickles is bad. Lee Majors is bad. None of them do anything or say anything that actually hits and hits the dartboard of funny. It is just a a comedy satirical film that tries so hard to be funny and satirical that it just becomes just horrifically cringeworthy. I remember seeing that once on video and just going, yeah, I'm not watching that again. It's not good. <laughs> no. And no. yet there's people there's people in there that you think are going to be good. Like, hey, you know, Lee Majors, the, the $6 million man. You got Abe Vigoda. He's usually fun. You got Don Rickles, who's fucking hilarious. None of them, none of them are in any way, like, endearing or funny or entertaining. Like, I don't know if it was issues with the script or if it was the director going, hey, you guys are great. Everyone loves you. Just go off and do your own thing. And then the movie just shit itself. That's one of the problems. This is something you get a lot. Ghostbusters 2016 is emblematic of this, but this has happened so many times where you have a slapdash script and you have all of these so-called comedians and the director says, just just ad lib, do what you do best. Because with, with all of the stuff with the Snyder cut, now you've got Paul Feig saying, oh, I've, I want to do my director's cut of Ghostbusters. It's three and a half hours long. And you and I both know, you and I both know that that is just going to be endless scenes of Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy and Kate McKinnon just ad-libbing and ad-libbing and ad-libbing and ad-libbing, which is not funny in the film. Awful ad-libbing. That's what I want to see more of is, why don't I have more dumplings? I want more duff. Off. It's one thing if you have a full script, if something organically happens on set, they say a line and it ends up working and they're like, you know what? I like that better than whatever. Then that's fine. Like ad-libbing, especially when you like, I mean, the original Ghostbusters, there was a lot of ad-libbing that happened, but it's because you had some comedic geniuses that were at work there, but oh, they God, still yeah. recorded their lines that they were supposed to. But then there were other things they were like, nah, you know what? That works better. But with well, Ghostbusters 2016, they yeah. just were like, oh, Oh, well, you know, what you guys are going to do is going to be so much better. And no, they're, well, they're not. Between, you know. There's a difference between the energy that like Ivan Reitman had with the Ghostbusters crew. And they were all clearly very tight knit and very good friends. And they all like hung out and drunk together and shit. Whereas you've got Paul Feig, who is literally just, I think the only experience he had with a lot of these, a lot of the actors and actresses on the film was through, what was it, that that wedding movie, Bridesmaids, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, that movie was honestly better it was scripted there wasn't a lot of ad-libbing going on in there that was a scripted comedic film and it worked a lot better and then for whatever reason paul feig decided let's make most of ghostbusters completely off the cuff because oh these women are so brilliant and it's like you can't make that work if you don't have like a tight-knit group that you're working with and people that you're like genuinely friends with and that you hang out with all the time when it comes to like the likes of like Bill Murray and Ivan Reitman and these people that were all working together, they they knew each other. They knew what worked, which was why 
the ad-libbing in something like Ghostbusters actually worked because these were dudes that were constantly making each other laugh. That's why the ad-libbing worked in that and why it just, oh, just fell so horrendously, horrifically flat in Ghostbusters because there's there's just no no structure to it. It was just it was just random. It was literally just throwing darts and hoping something would stick, but they were not only hitting, not only not hitting the target, but they were hitting the fucking wall. You know, with a movie, what you always do for your actors, your performers, you you set them up to win. Got to give them material. Improv and ad-libbing is based on material. It's contrary to people's belief. It's not just something you necessarily pull out of the thin air. It has a source and it has a destination. When you have a script is as technical as Ghostbusters, it has to be on the page. The majority yes. has to be on the page. If you look at the majority of ad-libs in that movie, they came from Bill Murray. You know, the character who did not have to be technically proficient. And that says a lot about how tightly the script must have been written. Whereas we know with the current one, they were just ad-libbing and ad-libbing. And it's like, it's one thing to have a group of friends all together and you're making each other laugh. But you wouldn't film it and release it because you just know it's not that funny. You're just having a good time. Yeah, it's like inside jokes. Yes, exactly. That's it. That's all there is to it. You just know that his three and a half hour cut is just going to be endless scenes of them yammering on and on and on. And he is going to go, oh, my God, this is just brilliant. Well, everyone else goes, why is suicide illegal? I'd it's rather see a three and a half hour cut of my prostate exam. Kind of falls into the problem that I have with the hangover movies where something like that, where it's just set up, set up, joke, set up, set up, joke, set up, set up, joke. I understand that is kind of the flow, but like you need a lot of times where you get hit with a left hook of a joke where you're expecting one thing and you get another one or just yes. something organically happens and it's funny. The hangover, there's a tiger in the bathroom. Hey, did you hear there's a tiger in the bathroom? Oh my God, there's a tiger in the bathroom. It's like, that's, <laughs> that's not funny. And not, and, and I think that that's a lot of what they would do with the, if there was a three and a half hour cut of that, they would do the, the rule of three to death. It's there's funny. A ghost? And then it's what do you not mean there's funny. a ghost? There's a ghost right it's funny and then it's not funny and then it's funny again but they would do it where it's it's funny it's not funny it's funny again and do like the family guy thing where if you do it for a really long time somehow it becomes funny again and no that that only works if you're really really good at crafting and really really good at timing there's a reason why there's not a lot of three and a half hour long comedies it's hard enough to be funny you know 90 minutes two hours it is impossible to be funny for three and a half hours like it's just it doesn't it doesn't work especially with something like that and the fact that Dan Aykroyd had come out and basically said that all the suggestions that they gave the director he wasn't listening to and then in the end they had a complete pile of crap and they're like well there's a reason why he won't be working with this studio ever again the way I look at it is ad-libbed movies never work. I mean, Ghostbusters was tightly scripted. That's actually not as ad-libbed as people think it is. A lot of Bill Murray's supposed ad-libs are actually in some of the scripts you can find from the time. So that movie's not as ad-libbed as you'd think. I've never seen an ad-libbed movie that's funny. Like, you got the Seth Rogans and the James Francos who just love these. We'll just get high and ad-lib these. They never work. But, Cecil, you brought up Dan Aykroyd. He's the actor I was talking about. I genuinely like Dan Aykroyd, and I think he can really work. But he has been in some just total, what the hell was that? Okay, we can fight about nothing but trouble in a few minutes. But there's like Dr. Detroit. 
Dr. Detroit on paper should work, but doesn't. And somehow that movie has been reevaluated a ton of times in the last few years. It's become like a cult film. I don't get it. Then there's stuff like Neighbors, which again, on paper, Neighbors with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and them kind of switching the roles that you would think that they would play and the setup, everything is there. And it absolutely doesn't work. But to me, the biggest one, we'll deal with nothing but trouble in a few minutes, would be Loose Cannons. Has anyone besides Fred and I actually sat through this giant piece of crap that even Dan Aykroyd, who, by the way, wrote and produced, thinks is an absolute garbage pile? Have Cecil or Peter, have either of you seen Loose Cannons? I have not seen No, I've never seen it. Gene Hackman is a grizzled, straight-laced cop, and Dan Aykroyd is his new partner who has multiple personalities, and they have to try and protect Dom DeLuise from the mob, and wackiness ensues. Dan Aykroyd's constantly changing personalities in the middle of scenes, and he's like, to villains, and then he's crying because he can't handle the violence when he's supposed to be backing up Gene Hackman, and absolutely nothing in the movie works. Nothing. It's brutally not funny. Fred, am I lying about that? Sadly, no. It's, again, the tonal issue. And if I may, I forgot. I I really want to bring this up. I did forget something about He's My Girl, that it's the same issue with that one. They keep trying to bring, like, racial issues into that movie and sexism into that movie, which, of course, is exactly what you want in your fun sex teen comedy. Again, there's that the balance doesn't work. Loose Cannons has the exact same issue because it's supposed to be goofy, fun. I, I, I remember when we talked about it, I even said, had it been made later, I could see Jim Carrey easily in the Dan Aykroyd role. But the thing is, he has a backstory where it turns out he was captured, he was undercover, captured, and tortured. And there are scenes in the movie where Gene Hackman can hear him in the next room reenacting his torture. In this wacky Funny. comedy. It's a mess. And it it's in that same nightmare, he's my girl, because that's what I was thinking about. I was like, oh, they're really similar. That it's like you see the raw components, you know what they were going for, but you go, how could you have missed so utterly and completely? And as I said, Dan Aykroyd wrote and produced this movie. And Who co-wrote. There's a lot of writers on this one. Yes, but in 2013, it, it was kind of funny how this movie got the best quote from Dan Aykroyd from it. So see, what happened was somehow the original negatives of some of the scenes from Loose Cannons wound up in a Calgary, Alberta landfill. And some people found these, and one of them was one of the scenes of Dan Aykroyd being tortured. So... They All they saw was beat up film of somebody being tortured and possibly killed. So they called the Calgary Police Services and a murder investigation was open. I wish I were making this up. Eventually, someone recognized that that's Dan Aykroyd. They figured out it's from the movie Loose Cannons. And Dan Aykroyd's quote was, quote, That movie should have been left in the landfill where it belongs, unquote. I think that says it all. Okay, to to go into Dan Aykroyd, I I also, I love Dan Aykroyd. I think that one of the true comedians of our time. And the thing is, yes, he's done some bad movies, but the dude's been in over a hundred projects. He's done some of the greatest movies of all time. He, you know, Blues Brothers, Trading Places, Ghostbusters, Dragnet. Like, I I know some people are on the fence, but I love Spies Like Us. I do too. Um, I'll back you on that one. Okay, well, wow, I'm, I'm actually really surprised. But that movie is legit 
shit funny. <laughs> you know, when, you, when you've got a career spanning decades like his, inevitably there's going to be some, some duds in there. You like mean Caddyshack 2s? There's going to be some Caddyshack 2s in there. I do fault him, though, because some of these worst ones, like Dr. Detroit, Nothing But Trouble, Neighbors, Loose Cannons, he co-wrote. So he's not just like an actor who's being hired to be in a bad movie. He's actively involved in the creation of that bad movie. Well, Nothing okay. But Trouble well, was really more the fault of like Chevy Chase just not giving a shit. No, it was I think a combination. It's all Dan but... It was. I did. I've talked to people who worked on the movie. There were two things that made that movie have issues. First one being is that Chevy Chase completely phoned in his performance. He would not deliver what he was required to. The second being is that the studio got to the point after the film, like they basically were so involved, Bonfire of the Vanities, that they let Dan Aykroyd go nuts. And he made the film that he wanted to make. Well, after he had made the film that he wanted to make, they came back and watched it and said, what the hell is this? And they cut it down to PG-13. They changed a lot of things around. It wasn't the film that he had made. So while a lot of people, myself included, like the film as it is, and I see it flawed, most largely because Chevy Chase completely phoning in his performance and he's the lead, he, you know, not supposed to tonal shifts and there are chunks in the movie that are obviously missing and mm -hmm. i really would love to see the full version of that and see if maybe like i really fully believe that it can work being something that is absolutely bonkers uh because then it's not pulling any of its punches it just goes completely off the rails and i think that there's a lot to be said there for that because that was what the vision was that was what they wanted to make and they kind of neutered it at the studio level and then of course blamed the director even though there are people on that film that worked on star wars they worked on much bigger films and they said that they would do just about anything to work with dan Aykroyd again i mean that's saying something but the film is utter trash. No pun intended to all the trash the that's in the film. The film's unwatchable. <laughs> it's one of the worst movies ever made. I don't like the movie. I've never liked the movie. I, I think it's an utter mess. It's the concept of watching a movie for enjoyment, but also separating from the appreciation of, of how something is made. Yeah, I can't stand the movie. I'll never sit down to watch it again, ever. But I'm going to defend Cecil on something here, too. Haha. -ha. The simple ah. fact of the matter is being creative and do. OK, what do we always complain about when people talk about movies? This movie's the same. It's cookie cutter. If it's into this genre. Oh, gosh, it's another cop drama. It's another race car movie. It's another superhero movie. <laughs> so here's. Here's Dan Aykroyd, who tried for years. He actually wanted a director. He didn't want to be the director. He wanted a John Landis. And I forget who the other one, Ivan Reitman, was that who he approached? He, he yeah. approached several. several he approached, he approached a bunch. And basically what happened was they were in the meeting with the producers. And they basically had everything lined up. They had the money. They had the actors. They had all that lined up. The only person they didn't have was a director. So yeah. if he had said, we need to still find a director they were possibly not going to make the movie. So Dan Aykroyd stood up and was like, you know what? I'll direct it. Even though I'm writing it, producing it, I have two roles in the film. So, I mean, he was doing quadruple duty. So yeah, he wanted somebody else to direct it, but he only took over when he had to, because he realized if he didn't say that he would direct it at that moment, there it was a possibility exist. the movie may never be made. So well, there's where... 
there's where I was going is that it's like we could blame him, but it seems to me he at the beginning was on the right path. The movie was something different. It was something creative. It wasn't going to look like every other movie. And the man just had a Herculean task. It was all shoved onto his shoulders. He ended up with a lead. I don't know. I don't know if Chevy ruins the movie. He's not good in it because a good performance can actually elevate something. We know. Oh, that. yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to completely deride the man for a trying something different. B, you know, like Cecil already said, it, it wouldn't have happened if he didn't step up to the task. I got to give him some credit for that, man. But also, so, but also nothing but trouble suffers from the same thing. Ghostbusters 2016 does. Now I know in this case it wasn't ad libbed, but like the thing with the big giant meat no. and babies, it just goes on and on and on. And like that dinner scene just goes on and on and well, that's on the and you're, you're just sitting here going will you work. do something please that does not go on for that long the, the dinner table scene is funny and it doesn't take it, it's not that long it's not like one of those scenes it's not like when i went to go see a tyler uh tyler perry's movie i had never seen one before i went to go see the first boo there's a part in that where apparently it's something that happens in all of his movies where Tyler Perry goes in and he sees Medea and he sees the other characters and they all just kind of riff back and forth for like 15 minutes. All right. Are we going to, are we going to do something else? Are we ever going to leave this room? Are we ever going to leave this room? We're just going to kind of keep going back and forth on this. And that was one of those things. The dinner table scene is like five minutes, maybe, maybe to you, it seems like it goes on and on forever, but it's not like this whole humongous thing. It's actually like, it's weird and it's funny and it's just, I don't know. I think it's goofy and I think it fits the movie very well. And, uh, I mean, as somebody who had to watch the movie repeatedly and dissect it, I didn't really think that it, it, it took anything away way there's been other movies i've watched where there's been scenes that just go on and on and on forever and that to me wasn't one of them well cisco and ebert have an expression that i i've adopted that i do like and it says that uh, no good movies long enough no bad movies short enough and i think that that's a perception concept too that if you're not enjoying something everything drags on forever i'm one of those guys that do not like this movie so the scenes feel like forever but i agree when you have to sit and watch a medea movie boy does it put the dan akron's career into perspective there's one movie now a lot of comedies we've been talking almost exclusively about comedies here there's one movie that's not a comedy that definitely falls into the what were you thinking and it's connected to dan Aykroyd, and that would be 1988's wired the unauthorized john belushi biography movie because dan Aykroyd, as well as jim belushi michael ovitz bill murray basically everyone who knew john belushi was against this movie they tried to stop it from being made they put so many ridiculous legal hurdles in it, and to connect to Loose Cannons, J.T. Walsh was originally supposed to play the police captain in Loose Cannons. But then, once Dan Aykroyd found out that that J.T. Walsh was in Wired, he had him blackballed. And he also blackballed Michael Chiklis, the director of the film. Basically, Dan Aykroyd, and I'm not going to say pissy little bitch, I don't think it's right to go, you made a movie I'm against, you're never working in this town again. That, to me, is kind of acting like a pissy little bitch. And Dan Aykroyd threw all of his star power against every single person involved with Wired because he was determined to never let these people work again. I mean, hell, it was 20 years before Jim Belushi would even speak to Michael Chiklis. They eventually got together, put their 
put the, you know, buried the hatchet and all that. But it was so much hurt was caused by this bizarre movie to the point where it took Burt Reynolds to resurrect Michael Chiklis's career. Michael Chiklis didn't work for almost three years after Wired. This movie just, it destroyed his career. And this was his first film. So he had just come up from doing plays and then Wired just completely cut him out at the knees. He knew somebody, one of the, I think it was the focus puller on Wired, was also working on Burt Reynolds' series BL Striker in Florida. And he's like, come on, Michael, I, you know, you'll get along with Burt just fine. He comes in for the audition, you know, this is Burt's show, Burt's the producer and everything, and he he realizes, oh wait, Burt Reynolds knew John Belushi too. Crap. And so he said Burt came up to him in a very aggressive stance. Chickles was ready to punch him. Chickles was ready to punch Burt Reynolds because he was sick of this crap. Burt extended his hand and said, hi Michael, I came up through the McCarthy era, I don't play that black ball shit. Let's get you a role on this show. And then that's what got Michael Chiklis's role out there. And yes, Dan Aykroyd tried to stop Michael Chiklis from being on BL Striker and Miami Vice that year because Dan Aykroyd held such a grudge over Wired. It's just kind of ridiculous. And then and then you look at Wired and you go, there are some bizarre decisions in this that we'll get into in a second, but this is the film you're going to destroy people's career over? Never seen it, and I had no idea of any of that. That's pretty ridiculous. Never seen the movie, never knew that happened. Pretty shitty, really. Yeah, well, the, the, the one thing left out was just the, the actual grudge begins with the book because Woodward of, yes, Woodward and Bernstein had known Belushi and hung out with him, but he had only known him for a fraction. He only knew life. him at the end. Yeah, and the because I was a huge Belushi fan. If I've never brought it, I mean, I was seriously a gigantic John Belushi fan. Time period was so temperate about Belushi's death because the media really tried to make him a sacrificial lamb. You know, they, they laughed when he was up. They laughed when he was up. And then when he got off cocaine, we're making little comments. Like he had done a movie called Continental Divide, which, by the way, it's not a bad movie. It's a drama role, uh, too. It's got, yeah, but with some humor. But they were, you know, making little snarky comments about maybe he should go back on the drugs. And then, of course, he dies uh, on his first hit going back to drugs. And they made him a sacrificial lamb of the Just Say No program. You know what I mean? So those same reporters that were deriding him for not being as funny as the old Belushi were now just roasting his corpse. And so you could kind of maybe understand from Aykroyd, who this was his best friend, his other half, comedically speaking. And it's like this book comes out and it just... It's bullshit. I'm sure there's truth within it, but the majority of it is based on a persona, not a person. And so here comes a movie. The movie is so tonally, we brought up, this keeps coming up, the tonal off the rockers. It's nuts how this movie jumps back and forth between this this man who's you know really dead really existed really had friends really had people who loved him and has a scene where he rises from the dead in a in a uh, not a, a mortuary a coroner's office and then animal house style runs out in a in a like a sheet going whoa you know right away oh no what is this movie i, I think you're le- you're leaving out a key part the coroner was played by a sushi chef because oh, no, con- forgot. you forgot about that, huh? Yes, I did. And and it, this has got a framing sequence. Remember, this is supposed to be the, the tale of John Belushi's life. It's got the framing sequence of Ray Sharkey, a white guy, as a Puerto Rican in brown face cab driver guardian angel taking John Belushi through all of the key moments in his life. This movie defines just what the hell did you want to happen here? 
You guys need to, Peter and Cecil, you guys need to see this movie just to go, this was released in theaters. Somebody thought this was a good idea. I agree. I think this is one to be seen. It's so bizarre. It's so, as we said, off the rails. It, it, it has a place. It, it has a weird place in history, so much so that Chiklis hates to talk about that time period. And in my opinion, like, I understand Dan's pain. I, I, I get it. But I think he aimed at the wrong targets. Well, and mm. I also want to point out, if there's one positive thing about this movie, it's Michael Chiklis. He not only embodies John Belushi, he is the one saving grace of this movie. Chiklis is absolutely f- Phenomenal in this otherwise garbage film. Well, Chicklis I'm a Ray Sharkey really fan. I'd like to add he's really good too, but it's weird to see him in the uh, the the racial thing. It, it, he does the Puerto Rican accent and everything. It's just like, yeah. oh, you, this is so you could not do this role today. No, no. Ray Sharkey was also known for playing very irreverent roles in his his time. I can't say I'm shocked either that he did it. Blues Brothers 2000. That Oof. was, you know what? Blues Brothers 2000 is on my list actually because Blues Brothers <laughs> is such a classic, man. Blues Brothers 2000 is what the hell was that? Yeah, it's not. It wasn't funny, and yet it had a great cast. You you not only had Dan Aykroyd in there, but you had John Goodman. You had all these other people. Same director too. Yeah, you had John Landis coming back, and it was just. I remember the marketing. For Blues Brothers 2000 being insane. It was everywhere. It was on on buses, on billboards, on TV. It was playing before like every every other movie that was in theaters. Like they really were trying to sell it. And then you watch the film and it's like, well, that was completely pointless. There was just no need to make another Blues Brothers film. Like, again, wasn't funny. It felt like uh, a real tough set. It felt really long. Put a kid in it. And then put a kid in it. Pretty much no, no fucking reason. I think they um, did, didn't they PG thirteen that one also because the first movie is pretty hard R. I think it's they, R for sure. I think they PG thirteen the. It's PG thirteen. Okay, the, yep. the second one, the second one. Yeah, they did. They PG thirteen it, and it was mm-hmm. just ugh. I, I think that one might be a prime example of of this of the sort of thing that we're talking about. Of how did this get released? Why did they even make it? What what went on with the script? And it just feels. You've got all this star talent in there, you know, the likes of John Goodman, the likes of Dan Aykroyd, you know, say what you will about John Landis. His movies are usually quite good. Just trash. It's complete, complete trash. I don't understand what audience they were trying to cater to. Like, this obviously was not going to be good for the people who love the original. And trying to bring in a new audience, no new audience is going to go see this movie. Like, no one cared. Like, I, I just don't know what they were trying to appeal to. It's, It was just, it was terrible. Well, there was also a weird, and this was right at the same time, I think, I think it's Warner Brothers who owns Blues Brothers. I think they were trying to revive the franchise because there was also, it never aired but they made 13 episodes of a Blues Brothers Saturday morning cartoon that's never aired. You can find some clips and images from it. I think at this point they were trying to, let's make this a franchise. Every year or two we'll make a Blues Brothers movie. We've got the kids cartoon. There was a Blues Brothers comic book that came out. I think this was a push. We need to revive Blues Brothers for some reason. Because as we all know, kids just love the blues. And freaking Illinois Nazis, man. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, like, 
I can understand certain things that they'll like when they made Ace Ventura into a kid's cartoon. That okay, made fine. Sense. Yeah. That made sense. It's, you know, he's wacky guy, but the Blues Brothers trying to appeal to children, that's something that kids just do not care about. Well, this was also during that time when they were doing a lot of those flash animations they did uh space balls if you remember they did uh oh no i just had it in my head and i think they tried to bring back the mckenzie brothers yeah i remember, I remember the oh really yeah, yeah i remember those so there was a trend toward this by the way it was universal just I, I, okay i, I couldn't remember what it studio universal. it was but yeah this movie there's not much to say i'll say this much the music is good they've got a lot of good musical performances in it it's varied it's interesting in that regard in that regard only there's a nice little moment at the very start of the movie where elwood gets out of prison they bring back frank oz and elwood goes out waits in front of the prison and you can see him on the camera and it literally gets dark and then turns to day again and frank oz walks up to the monitor and goes didn't anyone tell him it's a nice little moment where you see frank oz no sound walk up to elwood and elwood's head slumps it was a nice little moment john's gone you know, that was their way of telling us Jake's not coming. And Elwood waited all night and all day for Jake. It's the one moment in the movie that's actually genuine, honest. Felt and it good. had some heart to it. It had, it had a soul. Too bad the rest of the movie at no point equals it. Well, then what about a film that bad decisions by four different directors? Who, who besides me has actually seen Supernova? The movie. I saw, I saw it in the theater. When you see it, you can kind of go, yeah, I can see four different directors worked on this. A ton of money was put into it. You've got an amazing cast of like Angela Bissett, James Spader, Lou Diamond Phillips, Robin Tunney. And you go, what happened? What were you thinking? Because there are so many, again, tone, it'll be a serious movie. And then you'll go for a slapstick scene and then one-liners and then it's deadly serious again. And you're like, oh my God, pick a tone. They had reshot the film pretty much, or I shouldn't say shot. They had pretty much shot the film twice because they shot what was essentially the one version. They didn't like it and they brought in people to reshoot it. And there was another person brought in and another person brought in. Essentially, it was kind of pieced together. And when Shout was trying to put together, when they had it uh, released on Blu-ray, they were trying, because they've, they've done it before, where like they, what they did with uh, Nightbreed, where they were able to uh, pretty much put together the Cabal cut. They were trying to get the original version, and the studio is so uh, butthurt about it that they refused, and they allowed them to get some of the deleted scenes on there, but they wouldn't let them release any of the alternate versions of the film. It's a shame because from everything that I've read about what the original version of the film was, it's really interesting and it's cool. And I would like to be able to someday be able to see that version. It doesn't have the fan base that a lot of other films do. And I don't think that uh, we, I mean, never say never, but I don't think that we're ever going to see the real version of this film. I think we're going to kind of see the slapdash multi-directed version chopped together piece of garbage that we got. Barely remember it. And the, uh, People that should have probably been the only thing shot on that film should have been the producers. We see this in franchises that go on too long, where they just get more and more ridiculous as they go along. What about when a franchise has a final entry that makes you go, huh? 
like the Billy Jack movies. So first of all, you have the Born Losers about Vietnam vets not being able, you know, coming back to the world, not being able to fit back into society. Then you've got Billy Jack, this, you know, half Indian guy. He's fighting the racism in the small town. And it's kind of a kung fu action movie. Okay. Then you've got The Trial of Billy Jack, where he gets out of prison for what what happened in the second movie and he goes to this commune and it's all about hippies and he's still fighting the man both physically and and rhetorically and then you have billy jack goes to washington where billy jack becomes a senator who is trying to stop like a nuclear appropriations bill and they send assassins after him and he gives an impassioned speech at uh, on the senate floor and he's breaking tables and you're like what just happened I saw it, and I do remember it's pretty crazy. I mean, politically speaking, all the films are politically charged. In that regard, it makes sense. It's just that they're trying to do Mr. Smith Goes to Washington with Billy Jack, and it's really bizarre. And that's all I remember. And you two out there, Peter and Cecil, we're going to do a Billy Jack retrospective at some point, so you guys are going to have to sit through this movie. Fantastic. Well, I I like Billy Jack, uh, but I've never seen the last one, so uh, I can't, you know, can't say... What about something like Leonard Part 6, where absolutely nobody wanted to make this movie, nobody was happy with it, the star, director, producer, writer told people not to go see it. What had to go wrong on Leonard Part 6? Okay, let me rephrase that. How was Bill Cosby, as the writer, producer, director, star, not able to go, oh my god, what are we doing? I'm going to approach the elephant in the room, Bill Cosby, putting... Bill Cosby's recent, what what has come out to light recently out of the way, go, just going back to, what was it, 86? Going back to whatever year the movie first came out, I'm going to look at it from the perspective of when it came out, okay? Not, you know, not obviously going into all of, you know, the Cosby stuff. The movie, to me personally, was hilarious because it's so dumb. I mean, he's fighting off mutant lobsters with melted butter. Melted butter! It's it, like... I loved Bill Cosby back then. He was hilarious. There was something about him that no matter what he was saying, he delivered it in such a way that it made me laugh. Yes, it was stupid. Yes, it was goofy. Yes, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. I recognize that a lot of people don't like it. I recognize why people don't like it. But for me, I thought it was hilarious. However, watching it now, it hurts because knowing all of the stuff that he's done over the course of of his career. But looking at it just from the bubble of when it came out and before all this evidence of, uh, you know, uh, of Cosby came to light. It was to me very funny. I can understand why people don't like it. And it is a movie that I completely understand from a studio perspective. I can't like, how did somebody not step in and be like, so we're really going to do this. We're really going to have him on an ostrich on an exploding building. Like there's we're, we're so really going to many... have car- frogs flipping a car into a river. Yeah. It's very, very, very stupid. Young me thought it was the funniest thing ever. The movie is terrible and it's something I was thinking about once about certain films. It's weird. Uh, there's a couple films on my list that I think Leonard also fits into. And Hollywood has always tried to do two things over and over again that I think fail constantly. Now, if you look at Bill Cosby, again, removing controversy back in the day, he was in movies with Sidney Portier, more about talk. They were dialogue 
heavy movies. And so Cosby making his faces and being goofy, it, it works in those contexts. It works very well, especially when played off the very straight-faced Sidney Poitier. And if you look at Bill Cosby's entire early career, I Spy, you know, Robert Culp, straight man, Bill Cosby, the goofy one. And so in those contexts, he worked. And Hollywood has always tried to do one of two things over and over again. One is make live action cartoon movies, movies that are cartoony, like literally like a Looney Tunes. And that is so seldomly worked. You could go through the list of just endless movies. The other is they always try to revive that sort of early Marx Brothers, Three Stooges era type of comedy. Oh, why don't people do movies like this anymore? Well, there is a reason. Films like Leonard Part 6, it's that visual gag that just isn't funny. She's brought up the lobster, and I'm sure somebody thought that was funny. It's not. It just isn't. And the movie's endless series of these weird visual gags and then Cosby just rolling his eyes and jello pudding it. It it just doesn't work. Nothing works. butter. The movie doesn't you, you you said earlier, Cecil, that a three hour comedy won't work because the very nature of making an hour and a half comedy work basically is it's hard. It's tedious to keep making people laugh over and over. Brevity is the soul of wit. And what you have here is is you have a movie that's trying to sustain a silly gag for an hour and a half. And it's it's even worse for that reason. It's hard to say a movie's worse than Ghostbusters 2016 because it's so hated right now. But it's true. This movie is worse because it's just one idea done over and over. An airplane this film ain't. Fred, you brought up the whole Marx Brothers thing. There are mm-hmm. two, there are two movies. Yeah, there are two movies that, and I know you like one of them. I the other one I'm not so sure about. Like The Nut House, the movie that was so bad it caused Sam Raimi, Scott Spiegel, and Bruce Campbell to use pseudonyms because they hated it so much. And then Brain Donors. I've seen oh! both of these. These, Those are the two I was thinking of. Yes. Brain Donors is hilarious. Oh, no, it is not. That's the one I like, by the way, Cecil. He's I know, that's the one I know Fred him. likes. He likes Brain Donors. Brain Donors is hysterically funny. If you're brain dead. No, Brain Donors is really funny. But here's the thing I Dude. gotta say again, to be fair, it 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 doesn't work on a certain level. It, it works because of manic energy. That's why I love it. There's just so many goofy, just the energy oh, it's of the a joke a second. alone yeah. makes it fun. Even I have to admit that trying to bring back the Marx Brothers, and even in the 90s, was not the best of ideas. No, it was an idea that really, it, it shouldn't work. But I think that largely the reason why it works is because John Turturro is giving, he is dialing it up to 11. Like, he is all in basically playing Groucho Marx. And it's so, like, the the last 15 minutes of the movie where they're doing the, um, they're, they're doing the, the ballet is, oh. is pretty much, I am laughing nonstop. It's just uh, like it is one of those movies it is a comfort food movie really if i am if i am depressed if i am miserable i will put on brain donors and i will laugh for an hour and 20 minutes it's it fun is it's really fun really fun and funny and uh it, it is a movie rarity it's a movie that should not work but i think it absolutely does well then let's just go through a quick list of some other films that maybe the audience can chime in on that are in that are in this same category like Rappin aka Breakdance 3 Electric Boogaloo 
or disorderlies. Let's let the fat boys ad lib a movie. Not funny. Just disorderlies is funny. I knew you'd say that. Funny Farm, the Chevy Chase movie that has no funny in it. Of course, there's He's My Girl. Denzel Washington's first film, Carbon Copy, where it turns out he's the illegitimate son of a rich Jew. Watch all of the wacky shenanigans that come out of that situation. And the rape humor. Or Evolution, the Ivan Reitman film that is so shockingly not funny, it's almost painful. Can't stop the music. Somebody decided, hey, this village people thing is hot. Let's give them a movie. No, it's not. Son of the Mask. Just a bunch of Jamie Kennedy's id running amok and still not funny. Movie 43. Do I even need to go into it? Norbit. (sighs) which might be one of the most painful film experiences I've ever had. All About Steve, the movie where stalking and rape is funny if it's a woman doing it. Howard the Duck, loved the comic. That movie is what the fuck. Oh, bite your tongue. Dude, and at the very, very least, you have to appreciate the animatronics in that duck is just phenomenal. He looks real. I was more interested in the animatronics than Leah Thompson. Well, yeah. The the only good uh, thing about that movie is the Dark Overlords are really creepy. The Dark Overlords are amazing looking. That's the other thing, too. They look great. Like, the the work that got put into that movie, this is another film, I can understand if you don't like it. That's perfectly fine. But I think that the amount of vitriol that comes at it is, it should be reserved for movies that are legitimately god-awful. Exactly. Like, movie 43, I can understand why people hate it, because I hate it, too. It makes sense. It's a movie that is just god-awful garbage. I completely understand why people hate that movie. But something like Howard the Duck, I can understand understand you not liking it i can't understand people that will hate it like with the fury of a thousand suns it just doesn't make any sense it's not that bad of a movie to hate that much but then moving on there's also fear.com.com where the writer director of that movie considers it not only his worst film but a film he wishes he'd never made you've got something like morons from outer space which might be the most british sci-fi comedy ever in other words there's no comedy in it you've got now i happen to like this movie but the thoroughly bizarre nice girls don't explode that's definitely on the what were you thinking i just happen to think it works you've got like the omega code 2 magetto the trinity Net- Network decided to give Brian Trenchard Smith a few million dollars and said, make us an action religious movie starring Michael Bean as Jesus and Michael York as the son of the devil. Oh, and you can also... Michael Bean is not Jesus. Well, sort of. But you can also cast Arlie Ermey and, and Udu Kier and Franco Nero in this movie because it might be the best religious film ever made, but it's also the most nuts. It's insane. It's positively insane. Then you've got like Highlander 2, which is just full of Huh? Texas Chainsaw Massacre of the Next Generation, which might be the dumbest Texas Chainsaw movie ever made. And that's making sure that Leatherface is still in continuity. The 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 one that's just Leatherface, the prequel one. Or Now that Ma- was the one with uh with uh what's his name? Matthew McConaughey's robot legs? Yes. Yes. Oh, wonderful. So bad. <laughs> You've got Master of Disguise. Fred brought this one up to me when we were discussing this episode, Two of a Kind, where God and the Devil have to get John Travolta and I can't remember, is it, a, is it a, Olivia, Olivia Newton-John? It's Olivia Elton-John. All Newton. T- Olivia Elton-John. I always call her Olivia Elton-John. I've done that since the 80s. John, If John Travolta and Olivia Elton-John don't become a couple, humanity's Newton-John. going to be wiped out. God damn it. Olivia Newton-John. 
I refuse to I, say I, it I, like that. That woman is far too sexy to get her name wrong, damn it. I don't think you're turtly enough to enjoy Master of Disguise. Oh my god. I happen to like this movie, but I totally get the what the fuckery of Myra Breckenridge. I think you were the one that, because I never knew anything about Myra Breckenridge, and then you, I believe it was you that pointed out to me, and I looked it up and I went, oh wow, I had no idea. <laughs> I'm going to teach you what it's like to be a man. Uh, and then uh, she rapes him, anally, and then in a 60s cer- movie, in a comedy. Certainly does. I'm not in your camp on this one, buddy. Sorry. I Okay, I like the movie because it is a literal deconstruction of Hollywood and gender norms just in a very not subtle way. I mean, like, she literally rapes the manhood out of a guy, and she's not even a she because she's a he, but that's... Get, uh, okay, it's... Uh, it, I, I recommend you Having see fun my, yet, kids? It's it's very bizarre. I, I, I recommend seeing Myra Breckenridge just for the pure train wreckness of it. I actually want the audience to watch Myra Breckenridge and email me. I want to know if you haven't seen this movie, what you think. What does it take for a film, do you think, like all the ones we brought up tonight? Do you think there was too much studio meddling? Not enough studio meddling? How does a movie go so far off the rails that you ask yourself, how did this even get made? Well, I guess it's going to always be depending upon the pool of talent involved and there is no single answer i mean many of the movies we've talked about are from different studios most of these were were big name studios but there's a few smaller ones in there uh, it depends on who's in front of the camera who's behind the camera who's writing it uh who's producing it so uh, honestly i'm gonna just say it's always gonna be that way and just like i defended on a certain level i defended dan Aykroyd's film nothing but trouble i'll say you know what so what if there's really bad movies from time to time? I, I would hate to see one of my biggest problems today is a lack of creativity and uh, taking that chance, taking that risk, doing something weird, doing something different. I hate to say this, but I'm bored with 90 over 90 percent of the movies that come out. There are a few gems. There are good movies. But it's so rare now to see something that engages you where you go, wow, that was weird and different and creative. And if it means getting a few really bad movies in the process, so be it. I'm for it. I mean, it's it's a combination of things. It can be ego from the filmmaker. It can be meddling with the studio. There's a lot of different facets. But I absolutely agree with Fred in that I would rather have a bunch of weird movies and have some of them be pretty bad, but then a handful of them will be really good than to have what we're getting a lot nowadays, which is just a lot of very bland, boring, cookie-cutter kind of films. You sang a a movie like Nice Girls Don't Explode, where Jordan from Real Genius is in an alternate universe where if she gets horny and has sex, she becomes a pyromaniac and things start to light on fire around her. You you say a movie like that wouldn't get made today? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe not. No, seriously, I, I really dig Nice Girls Don't Explode. It's one of those movies that I don't think you could make today. No. no, I don't, I don't no. Think it's fun. It's fun. It's fun in a weird way. I will also agree with Fred. I think that uh, right now we're in an era, and Spielberg had warned about it, although he went, and after he warned about it, then he went and made one of the biggest piles of crap. The um, Movie God, reference the movie? Yeah, movie right. Yeah, I re- no, I remember that the movie, which I just I hated. He, but he was absolutely right. We're entering a time where they're they're getting rid of the the middle ground. It's going to be all tentpole films. 
films. And unfortunately, tentpole films most often are the ones where they don't take chances. And I am more than happy to deal with some, the occasional WTF movie, the what the hell were they thinking movie, because at least they were trying to do something different. At least they were trying to give us something that wasn't normal. Um, Now, unfortunately, some of them get ruined for one reason or another. They uh, have studio involvement or the director has too much involvement and nobody stands up and says that this is a really bad idea. But but I still will always side in favor of the director because he's the one who is taking this and he's trying to get his vision out there. And a lot of times producers will stand in and change things because they want it to get have the most appeal to them as many people as possible. So if that means that we have to occasionally get a film that is uh, bizarre, then I will deal with that. I will watch uh, plenty of uh, Assault of the Killer Bimbos before I start watching, you know, any more of these just boring ass cookie cutter films that we've been getting. These just overly referenced piles of garbage that uh, are $300 million boring films. And I'm not even going to go into how Thelma and Louise plagiarized Assault of the Killer Bimbos because, yes, I'm serious. Oh, they absolutely did. Where can people find Cecil if they would wish to tell him nothing but trouble does indeed suck? You want to find me watching brain donors and laughing hysterically. Uh. You can find me over at goodbedflix.com as well as goodbedflix on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. But don't watch I Accidentally Domed Your Son. That movie has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. But yeah, we didn't brain- talk about that one because I still can't find a freaking copy of it. You know what? I'm serious. It don't even like it's it's that but that's it's and I've seen thousands of movies and that is probably in the top five worst films ever made. Peter, where can people find you if they wish to message the Canadian monkey man who's not on Facebook anymore? Ah, uh, you can always find me on Twitter at Zinemassica at Zinemassica. Jesus Christ. Christ, it's a dollar store version. Uh, at Twitter, at Cinematica, um, my fan page for The Cinemasochist is still up on Facebook, though I'm not really using it anymore. You can find me at YouTube, The Cinemasochist. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can find me also nowadays streaming about on geekjuicemedia.com. And of course, you can also contact me on my Patreon at Cinematica. Not only just to donate, but you can also message me there. It's kind of become my replacement for Facebook. And Fred is the one who's off the grid. People can't contact you, correct? You can find me at hashtag Jen Fertilli reads the lyrics of Black Flag. (laughs) I would totally pay for that, though. Yeah, I'm nowhere right now. So, all right, guys, let us know, one, what you think about Myra Breckenridge and what you think of some of the films that we talked about tonight. And I do recommend going to see Wired just to see how bat shit insane it is and also how damn good michael chiklis is in this and how this movie should not have been the one that derailed his career keep one foot in the gutter one fist (laughs) in the gold have a good night
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.